continue in our series of evil and suffering. I have good news. We're almost done with it. So hopefully your pain and suffering will be complete here uh, soon uh, on this as uh, we will have this message this morning and then uh, a message uh, next week and then uh, we'll go on to uh, different uh, things. So, you know, I hope you will bear with me another two weeks, including today, through this. I hope that though also that as needed, you've gotten, you've gleaned something out of this. Not just for our own sake, but our world is suffering. Our world has pain. And our job as God's followers is to go into that, to be present in those moments. So I hope it's also equipped you moving forward on how you can help others. And there's two ways our world typically will try to deal with pain and suffering, either through positive thinking, I just think happy thoughts long enough, it won't be an issue, or resignation where the pain and the suffering identifies it. And some of this can be good. There's a time where we, we need to identify with our pain, I think, and there's times when we just need to start thinking a little differently. A grateful heart has a way of changing lots of things. But we can't think our way out of this. Nor can we resign ourselves to this. That's not the hope of Scripture. That's not the way for us as the people of God. There is a different way. We're going to look at the, the way of Paul this morning, which I think is highlighted as the way of Scripture, of dealing with pain, of suffering, of the evil that is around us. We can't think it away. We can't just uh, let it become our existence. But we can show our world there's a different way of being. Because the gospel calls us to a different way of life. The gospel is not just, I said a prayer at one point in time, I punched my ticket into glory. When the roll is taken up, yeah, I'll be there. The gospel says not only is that true, but there's a different way of being today, right now. Salvation is something that, that makes a difference, not just someday, but today. And I think we see this. But unfortunately, we need to understand these truths as we start. We are not and we cannot be self-sufficient. You cannot be self-sufficient. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's true. I can't be self-sufficient. No matter how hard I try, our world is trying to tell us, you can be self-sufficient. You don't need anyone else. You don't need anyone outside your family. And we, as American Christians, have bought into this where we think of our, uh, our faith as just an individual personal faith. Jesus came to save us individually and uh, you know personally, but it's not just you and the Lord. He's called us. And we need to see that. We need to understand that. We cannot be self-sufficient. And see, part of what happens with pain and suffering is we will either resign the fact, yep, you're right, I can't be self-sufficient, so I might as well not even try. And it leads to a dark hole of pain, of despair, of depression. And you don't ever look for anybody else. You become the pain. Or you just act like it doesn't exist. Neither is true. 
we need to remember that God alone is self-sufficient. That's the promise of Scripture is there. We aren't self-sufficient. So for some of us, uh, we need to stop trying to work our way to self-sufficiency because you're not going to get it. God alone is self-sufficient. That's why he's God. If you could be sufficient in and of yourself, by yourself, you would be God. And you are not. I am not. And for that, we ought to be able to say amen. Because then there is a way. There is a way forward. It's not the way, though, we would like to imagine it. And Paul had a thorn issue. We read here in 2 Corinthians, if you're not there, bring it up on the Bibles, on your phones, on your tablets, in your internet browser, those of you who are at home. We see in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul is going to tackle on this issue. And, and to some extent, Paul is tackling the issue of self-sufficiency here prior to this. There were apostles, teachers saying, hey, you ought to look at me because I've received this great vision from God. I have this great revelation, this great experience from God that should be sufficient for you to trust me. And what Paul is starting to tackle in 11 and in 12, our experiences with God cannot trump the truth of God, which is his word. Experiences are important, but we don't have a gospel of experiences. We have the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ, both. Because our experiences will be on the mountaintops one way, and we will be in the depths of despair the other way. And we need something that can handle both of those experiences, and that is the sufficiency of God in his word. And he, he says, in verse 7, the end of verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming prideful, conceited, I was given by God a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He had a thorn issue. Well, we don't know exactly what this thorn issue was. We, some speculate it's the fact that he had people who opposed him. Absolutely. Paul talks about that in, in chapter 11. In fact, one of the criticisms of Paul was he took up this offering for the Jews in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem, to help with their needs. And some people were saying, hey, Corinthians, careful, because you're giving that to Paul. He's not really making it into Jerusalem with that money. He's using it to support himself. That's why he says later, I've never been a burden to you. I'm not going to be. Okay? He, he had enemies. I don't think it was just that. I think we intentionally don't know. Was it a foot illness? Most likely. You know, could it have been his eye issues? Possibly. I think the beauty of not knowing is if we as humans knew what his thorn issue was, you know what we would probably do? We would make sure we quoted this verse every time it was that issue. But if it wasn't that issue, we wouldn't apply this. Because we won't see, it's Paul really just meant the issue of epilepsy. But that was the case. Well, so if you didn't have epilepsy, you can't, you can't understand this because it was all about that. Or maybe it was depression. The beauty is sometimes scripture is intentionally vague. So we don't get pigeonholed and it has to be this. When God says, no, it's all of this. He had a thorn issue. Now, interesting enough, it seems to be Paul's not talking about this list, but he just listed 
prior before in chapter 11. And I realize for those of you online, this is very small print on your screen. I apologize. Those of you here, it's a little bit larger. But think about this. What he's going to tell us, he was imprisoned, he was flogged, he was almost dead many times, 39 lashes by the Jews, three times, five times, okay? And if getting beat by the Jews wasn't enough, he was beaten by the Romans, okay? He was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he'd been open water, whether that's the ocean, the sea, or the rivers, he says. All right. He was opposed by Christians, by Jews, and everybody in between. He was carried out by a bastard over a wall because people wanted to kill him. And he had no food, drink, or clothing at times. Now, how many of you are saying, that's the, that's the life I want to sign up for? Anybody? Here's what he's saying. This thorn in his sight isn't just that. He had that as well. And sometimes we can think if we are true Christians, we ought to be able to not have this experience of pain and suffering. And if there was ever a man that maybe we could put into that category, Paul would be in. He has this list plus another thorn in his side. Wow. I also share this because what we see Paul do is not try to think his way out of it, not try to look inside of himself and, and say, if I just impose my own will, I will get out of this funk that I'm in. We see something different. And it reminds us that we must be careful of the deception of self-experience. Whatever your experience as an individual is, it can deceive you into thinking that is who Christ is, and it is not. Your experience is important, but it isn't all of this. Whether your experience is great. Paul goes on to share one of his own experiences of being caught up into heaven. I mean, how cool would that be? But once again, he doesn't want to highlight his own experience at the sake of the gospel of Christ. And sometimes when we tell our stories of pain and suffering, we can run into the end and we highlight the pain and suffering instead of the Christ that saves us and sustains us through that pain and suffering. We must be careful. Our stories are powerful. We ought to tell our stories. But we must remember that really God's story as seen through our life, not our story as seen through God's eyes. And there is a difference between the two. And so we know this truth. Suffering and pain, Paul says, can be a tool of God. He says, I was given this by God. You may say, well, I don't see that in, in mind. There is implied throughout all of 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 that the agency of God, that God is, is behind the scenes, I was given by God a thorn in my flesh, my side, to be used as a tool of God. And how so? We must deal with pain and suffering by going to God. Paul says he went and he prayed three times that it would be taken away. Now we can get this idea, he made this literally three times. I think what Paul is trying to say is, I prayed until I finally got an answer. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed until I completed the task of praying. 
And you and I need to deal with our pain and suffering by going to God, first and foremost. We need to also go to others. I believe that's important. But we can't forget to let it take us to God. And sometimes I think we give up on praying. We pray once and no answer came, or we pray twice and no answer came. Or we start to count our prayers. Paul saying, as you pray until that answer is, so don't give up praying too soon, it should read. Those of you online, you got the correct version. Those of you in person, not so much. You know, but, uh, you know, praying too soon. Sometimes we stop praying too soon. And we need to remember to go on and on in our prayers. To not forget and not stop persevering in prayer. Jesus said it this way in his gospel. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. An answer will come. But let us not take the silence of God as a way of saying, I guess I, guess I just need to give up prayer. All, I think, went on and on and on until he finally heard an answer to his prayer. You and I, we keep going on and on and on. We may wonder why. Why can't you just answer? I don't know. If there was anybody who I would have thought would have gotten an answer the first time, it's this, this Paul who was caught up into a heaven, who had these experiences of God. It would be the Elijahs among us. But even then we can't give up praying because then we miss it. Sometimes I think we stop praying just at the moment we're ready to break through. When God's ready to break through. And you say, well, why do we do that? Sometimes with my kids, I do this, it frustrates the bejeebies out of them. I just keep waiting to see if they're going to ask again and again and again. Not because I'm not because I'm hoping they just forget, but I'm hoping to see how serious are they about this. If they ask once in a week and it's five days later, they don't care, okay. Great, maybe I don't need that. Maybe I don't want that. I mean, Daniel asked me for something for months upon months upon months. I really hoped he would forget and forget and forget, but he didn't. And I finally was able to say, maybe he's really serious about this. Let's see that. Then Josiah started with a similar request. He's a couple months in. I'm in my wisdom trying to say, are you ready for this yet? And I wonder if sometimes in God's wisdom, he's going, are you ready for the answer to your prayer yet? Because sometimes we get an answer too soon. We don't appreciate the answer. One, two, we're not ready for the answer. And here's the answer. The grace of Jesus is fully sufficient. He says in verse 9, But he, the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, Paul was forbidden to say what he heard in his vision, but he wasn't forbidden to say Christ's grace is always sufficient. It alone is sufficient. On the heels of the remembrance of the Reformation, where Luther put his uh, thesis on the wall, one of those was boiled down to grace alone. Grace alone is sufficient for your pain today. Will you start with the grace of Christ? 
Now, part of the grace of Christ will also be he's going to put you into community with others, which we may not like. We may want to do this alone. But Christ says, I don't just save you to be alone. I save you to be a part of a community, a family called the church. The grace of Christ is sufficient for what you're dealing with today. And his grace will bring others into your life to help you deal with it. Jesus' grace is the answer to suffering and pain. It is the answer. It's not a simple answer. It's simple to say, but it's hard to live out. His grace is sufficient. Paul never got rid of that thorn in the side. We may never get rid of the thorn, that pain, that suffering that is there. But we always have a grace that is over that. That can sustain this day. And so he goes on, he says. He continues on with this. That Christ's gospel would be over all of his name. Paul could have easily have resigned himself if we look at just 2 Corinthians 11. He could have resigned. I'm done. The pain is too much. I'm done. But he doesn't resign to that. He doesn't call us to be a martyr for Christ. He calls us to live in the sufficiency of the grace of Christ. So you and I, our response is this. We must empty ourselves. We must realize we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. I, I, I say this all the time, but, you know, and Lena really knows me. She gave me coffee this morning. I mean, and, and I know this. I have to drink this cup of coffee before I can put more coffee in it. If I leave this cup of coffee over and cure it, uh, and, and I just let it sit and every, uh, what is it, about every half hour of the morning, Shannon, George, right there? Every half hour, I just go and make a new cup. What's going to happen? I'm going to have a mess. Because I had to empty this cup before I could receive something else in this cup. The lie that we have bought into in our American culture is that we are enough. We can be enough. It's about us. It's about me, myself, and I. And what Christ says is not, hey, just go ahead and keep going with who you are and let's have a little bit of Jesus. He says, empty of yourselves so you may be filled with me. And we, as God's people, need to empty ourselves of our own wishes, our own freedoms, our own desires, and say, Holy Spirit, now fill me fully and so all of myself has been pushed out because then and only then will the gospel of Christ be highlighted enough that our will is. And I think as we look at 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, we see that Paul has been emptied of himself time and time again so that he doesn't start to think what you and I may think. I can do it. No, you can't. But Christ can our response is to empty of ourselves and receive the sufficiency of Christ. Receive Christ. Because He is there. Our response is also to accept and pursue grace. I know I've already said it before, but I want to say it again. I think what we're learning 
uh, as, we, as, as American Christianity is going under another uh, transformation process. We are learning that the idea that you just accept Christ once, you accept Christ, grace once, and you just go about life as if it didn't matter, that's not enough. It's never ever been about a prayer that's prayed at one time. It's about doing what Christ says, which always has a beginning. But the beginning isn't the end, where he says, follow me. Where, where the disciples and you and I this day must accept that call that Christ is saying, follow me. Accept the grace that is there, but then pursue the grace that will sustain you there time and time again. And sometimes we blunt our own transformation work in Christ because we stop pursuing grace. Because we think we've already got it. You may be saved. And salvation is necessary. You get the glory to heaven by grace and grace alone, by salvation in Christ alone. But you know, we were called more than just to be saved. We were called to be transformed into the image of Christ. So will you pursue grace? This is, I think, where Paul and James and the rest of Scripture says, work out your salvation, faith and works together. Peter, they all say the same thing, just using different words. You accept grace, but by grace, you live out grace. And in our pain and suffering, we realize that it is grace alone that does the sin. When life's going well, we think we have something to do about that. That was the temptation that God said, actually, before the nation of Israel got into the promised land. You're going to be tempted when you get there to say, look at what my hands have done. Look what we have done. We, as a church, can get in that habit, too. When we look at the bottom line, when we look and celebrate the great things that have been done, and great things have been done here over many, many decades of faithful witness. But it is not us who has done much of it. It is the grace of God that has been empowered in his people here that have allowed us to see him show up and show up. To show up and to show up. It is grace alone and Christ alone that leads to your transformation. Do you need newness of life this day? Do you need transformation of life this day? And you got to go to the one who is self-sufficient. And that is Christ, our Lord. You need to submit to him again. Some of you are in the midst of pain. And I want to maybe help, help you to see that, you know, you don't have to resign to that pain. You don't have to give in to that pain. And you can't think your way out of that pain, but Christ can give you grace in the pain. And you will see if you are willing to look that the grace of Christ is right next to you in you. And it is sufficient for today. Not tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow has. But today, the grace is there. Will you submit to that grace? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, maybe somewhere in between. Will you submit to the grace that for some of you, God is calling you 
into this community of faith known as First Baptist Church of St. Louis. Maybe he's calling some of you for a greater role into this church known as First Baptist St. Paris. For some of you, God is calling you into what we would call full-time ministry, where you do things like I do, or others. We're all called to ministry, just some of us happen to be pastors. And your ministry that God has called you to is just as important, but we're all called to make much of Christ and little of ourselves. Will you accept the grace that will go on? Will you accept the grace of God's word that will sustain you when your experiences don't continue on again and again and again? Because it is only Christ that will sustain Where is God pointing at you? Where is he saying, this is what I want from you? Will you trust him? That's the question. Paul decided to trust the answer that is God's grace was sufficient. And you and I must also answer that question. Today, tomorrow, until the day he either comes back for all of us or he calls us home, we must say, will I trust today that God's grace will get me through today? Because it is only then the gospel of Jesus will transform you and me. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for hopefully uh, just sharing your word, the gospel that is found in Christ alone. So Lord, I think there's someone that needs to respond, maybe online, maybe here, both, to your grace this morning. And so I ask that you would help them to do that. That they would respond. Lord, we thank you for the way you have called us together. This isn't a faith of just me, myself, I, and you. It is a faith of us together as a community living out the gospel of Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you would help us to see who you are this day, that your grace is there to sustain, that your grace is there to, to remind us of who we are in you and to remind us of who you are. And in you we have someone who makes a perfect plea, not imperfect like I do, but the perfect plea. That you haven't stopped loving us, but you continue to advocate for us. And so, Lord, as we respond in worshiping through song, that this would help us to live out your grace this day. And Lord, we thank you for the grace of Christ that saves completely today, tomorrow, and every day. The grace of Christ that will make all things new. One day. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing a song we heard?